0: We've been doing a prayer series for the last uh, few weeks, and uh, so today we're going to answer a question, how do we pray, Uh, or with what attitude do we pray? So imagine with me that your family gets an invitation to the White House, and let me set a disclaimer really quickly. Some of you think you may or may not take an invitation from the current president, but for your imagination, think about your favorite president of all time, and imagine that he sends you an invitation to come to his house, and he invites your whole family. So those of you with kids, you're like, are you sure, Mr. President, you you want me to bring my kids? And he's like, yes, of course, bring your kids. The invitation comes on high quality cardstock, and the letters are typed in gold. It is awe-inspiring to even open this invitation. The letter reads that the president would like for you and your family, all of your family, to come and have dinner at the White House. You read the invitation several times to make sure it was addressed to the right person. And at the end it states, your friend, the President of the United States of America, you fill in the blank to who that is. The day comes and your family is picked up in an armored car, the same car the President rides in with small American flags over the headlights, flapping in the wind as they drive you all the way to the White House. The doors are flung open and there stands the president and the first lady ready to welcome you and your whole family. You introduce yourself, your spouse next, then your oldest and your middle child with a nice to meet you, Mr. President. Then it's your youngest's turn. The president says, stoops down and says, well, hello there, and extends his hand to greet them. And your youngest responds with a, sup, slaps their hand (laughs) like schoolyard friends. You and your spouse are horrified. But why? How do you explain to your youngest that this is no way to greet the president? Is this a sign of how things will go for the rest of the dinner with your youngest? And truly at the heart of this, the lack of respect is truly what would horrify you. You would not as a parent let it slide. There is no reverence or awe for one of the most powerful men in the free world. The office of president is the most prestigious, highly honored, regaled office in the land and your youngest showed it and him dishonor in his greeting. So my question for us today is this, is this how we approach prayer? Are we lackadaisical in our approach to God as we pray? Do we greet him like we would anyone else? Though he is a friend of sinners, do we treat him as an equal? Look at Psalm chapter 50 in the Old Testament, Psalm 50. Verse 21, 21, just that, that second half there, it says, you thought, God's speaking here, he says, you thought that I was one like yourself. You thought that I was like you. So one thing becomes apparent as I spend time with you as the church body is that needs become clear. Not only physical needs, but I begin to sense by questions asked and conversations had that my people want to know more about this. And I love you for this church, I do. I love being your pastor and I'm so thankful that you make it very clear to me where we might need to head next as we look at future preaching series, Redeemer equips classes and gospel community fodder. Since the days of our core team meeting in a living room I knew there would be a need for us to press on the subject of prayer. This will not be the last time we study this or build a biblical foundation for prayer. This needs to get deep inside of our guts so we can know that when God's people pray, it accomplishes what God purposed for it to accomplish. So we've looked at the questions, what is prayer? Why do we pray? And last week Rusty came from a very specific passage in 1 John chapter 5 and told us this is the reason we pray, Christ is the reason we pray. So we need to remember that prayer is first and foremost, listen, look at me for just a moment, prayer is first and foremost about communion and relationship. It is not about asking God for stuff, it is about communion and relationship. Before any other element we need to know prayer is first and foremost about knowing God. So our attempt at a definition of prayer was this. Prayer is that in Christ I can come to God boldly as His kid. In humility I am learning to know Him, to love Him, to trust Him, to align my will to His to ask, seek, and knock, confess my sin, intercede for others in thankful submission in a conversation with my Creator. I know that's a long definition, if you need that you can listen to the podcast later or I can get it to you. So the question today is, how do we pray? With what attitude do we pray? with our other questions, it's been difficult to point at one specific passage in Scripture. And if you don't know this, if you're a visitor with us, welcome. But for the most part, we don't preach topical series like this prayer series. For the most part, we preach through books of the Bible. We preach through James recently. Uh, we're looking at preaching through Jonah coming up, uh, through the minor prophet Jonah. And that's what we do here uh, for, the, for the most part. But it, it's, sometimes it's difficult to say... What is prayer? And then turn to Exodus chapter 2 and find the answer, what is prayer? Though the Bible speaks broadly about prayer from the beginning in Genesis to the very end in Revelation, today's question, how do we pray, has a a passage attached to it. You can go ahead and turn to Luke in the New Testament, Luke chapter 11. We're going to be in the first few verses of Luke. Chapter 11, verse 1, let me give you a bit of context before we move forward. Luke would have sat and received eyewitness accounts on the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. Now remember, Luke lived at the same time Jesus lived. But he would sit and get eyewitness accounts from people who walked with the Lord Jesus. So with the apostles, with his mother, he would sit and get eyewitness accounts. And just before this account in Luke chapter 11 with his disciples, something interesting takes place with two women. Look just before that in Luke chapter 10, just before that, verses 38 through 41. Listen to this Martha, Martha, he says her name twice. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Notice what takes place here. Martha was distracted with much serving, and her prayer to the Lord Jesus is, look, I'm getting all this ready for you, and my sister's not helping me. Remember, she's praying in that moment to the Lord Jesus in the flesh, and her prayer is one of filled, riddled with anxiety. She says, why isn't she helping me? And the Lord Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion. She's not up. Anxious about everything, she's sitting at my feet listening to me teach. Mary chooses the good portion. So, this reminds us that prayer is first and foremost about communion and relationship. Now, are there things to do? Absolutely. For you stay at home moms, is there always a load of laundry? Yes, there's always something to do. The real question is, why are we doing them and with what attitude? So with this in mind, this this encounter that takes place, we move to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. Let me give you another disclaimer here. We're going to spend four weeks at the end of July into August looking at the Lord's prayer specifically. We're going to look at it in depth. So the scene shifts from this particular house Jesus was in, and the disciples are waiting for for him to finish praying. They ask a very specific question. Look at Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say. And then he launches into the Lord's prayer. Notice, notice something here. Notice that Jesus does not shoo them away when they ask. And this is something else he doesn't do. He doesn't give them five tips to better prayer. He doesn't shoo them away. He doesn't give them five tips to better prayer. And he doesn't shame them. Do you notice that? He doesn't shoo them, he doesn't give them tips, and he doesn't shame them. He says, when you pray, say. He puts words in their mouth. Did you know God is the only one who can put words in your mouth? I don't like it when my kids put words in my mouth. No, that's not what I said. I said, let me clarify, God is the only one who can put words in our mouth. He says, when you pray, say. Can you imagine this? We get to hear from the Son of God how we should pray. He gives us structure. He gives us language. He gives us direction on what his Father wants to hear in prayer. Imagine for just a moment getting to sit in on a session with a world-famous artist or a musician or a scientist, whatever you're into, on how they do what they do. What money would you pay to get personal instruction from them on something you love by someone you love and respect? We get, here, look, church, we get free instruction by the Lord Jesus himself on the greatest act of faith, prayer. Did you know that's the greatest display of faith that you have is to pray? So many times it's left for the end. Well, I I guess I'll pray. When our first initial reaction should be, let's pray. Let's pray about this. The greatest act of faith is prayer. So because we're going to spend some time delving into the Lord's Prayer at a later date, the question I want to look at a little deeper isn't just how to pray, but with what attitude do we pray? In our definition of what is prayer, we included some specific phrases, one being in humility. We pray in humility. And then towards the end of the definition is in thankful submission. Keep this, keep these two phrases out in front of you as we continue our time today. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6 in the New Testament, and it'll be on the screen behind me, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 5 through 8, Matthew 6 verses 5 through 8. Jesus gives a clear warning as he is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's in the middle of preaching the Sermon on the Mount. The passage is specifically on prayer, and this is right before he gives the Lord's Prayer in, the, in Matthew's account. Look at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward." Jesus says, don't pray like this. Right before he he shows us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he says, look, first and foremost, let me say, before I tell you how to pray, don't pray like this. Don't pray like the hypocrites with this, this attitude of hypocrisy, wearing this mask, standing in the synagogue, and using all of this eloquent language to shame everyone around them. If you remember, there's an account in Luke where Jesus tells this parable of the tax collector and th- that sits in the back and the Pharisee that goes to the front, he says, I'm glad I'm not like this guy. Don't use your prayer to shame people. He says, don't be like a hypocrite wearing a mask. If you pray in front of people, pray like you would pray in secret. Let me ask you this, if I were to call on you right here in front of everyone and ask you to pray in front of everyone, would you pass out? Some of you are like, yeah, I would. Are you nervous to pray in front of people? The question is why? Take comfort in the fact that God is not looking for eloquence in speech. He is looking for brokenness, for humility, and dependency. My dad, who was a pastor, used to often say the one prayer God loves to hear his children pray is help, help. Look at verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you." Again, the Lord Jesus doubles down here and He says, this is about relationship. This is about communing with me. This is the secret place of prayer. This is where we find relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you just just some advice here, okay? If you're like, Ricky, you've talked a lot about prayer, you and Rusty have, we've talked a lot about it at GC maybe or whatever it is or just with our family, and I'm still having a hard time. Here's what I would say, make a plan and stick to it. Plan to pray. If you don't plan to pray, you plan to fail. So make a plan to pray. Maybe it's giving up 30 minutes before the kids get up and and praying, or maybe it's laying the kids down a little earlier and going outside and praying for 10 to 15 minutes, whatever it is. Make a plan and stick to it and pray. This takes discipline and dying to things you really want to do that might ultimately be time wasters. If we could sit down together, and this is true of me too, and chart out how much time we spend binging some, uh, some show on Netflix or scrolling social media or TikTok, could we carve time out of that and spend time praying? Make a plan and stick to it for prayer, verse 7, look at verse 7, it says, and when you pray Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. The warning continues here. He says, don't heap up empty phrases. The King James Version says, vain repetitions. The New Testament Greek For this phrase here is batologio, that's the word here, batologio. It serves as an onomatopoeia, do you know what an onomatopoeia is? We're going to go to English for just a minute. Onomatopoeia is a word that sounds like what it is, like buzz, quack, honk, that's an onomatopoeia. So in the Greek, this word batologio says don't batologio, don't babble on. Don't just sit there and heap up empty phrases like all these people you see around trying to pray. Don't babble. I worked for a pastor a few years ago, and he went to uh, Israel on a trip for about a month, and he said one of the one places he really wanted to go was to the Western Wall or to the Wailing Wall, and this is where you see these videos where people, where Jewish men are standing at the wall and they're rocking back and forth. Have you ever seen this? They're rocking back and forth. Well he said, I walked up as a Westerner, I walked up to the Wailing Wall and these men who were sitting there rocking back and forth walked up to me and they said, would you like to write down a prayer on a piece of paper and I'll pray on your behalf and stick it into the Wailing or to the Western Wall. And the pastor said, sure, so he was so excited, he got out a piece of paper and he started scribbling down this prayer and he handed it to this man, and this man said, thank you, it'll be $8. They charge you to pray at the Western Wall. This is the epitome of what the Lord Jesus is saying here. Don't heap up these empty phrases. You don't need anyone else to go on your behalf because the Lord Jesus himself goes on your behalf. Look at verse 8, this last verse that we're going to spend time in. It says, do not be like them. He points us back. He says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus comes in and comforts us with one half of a sentence. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Before we even come to God in prayer, in supplication, in whatever interceding for others, in thankfulness, whatever it is, God knows the words that will come out of your mouth, even if that word is just help. So I want to end our time answering the question, what is our attitude in prayer? All of this raises a question for those who pray this way, the way Jesus warns us against in this text in Matthew, and it also raises a question for us. Did they understand who they were praying to? And do we understand who we're praying to? Look at me for just a moment, church. Do we understand who we are praying to? Look in the Old Testament, if you would, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah 6, some of, for some of you this might be a familiar passage, and if it's not, that's okay. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 7, listen to this, this account here, says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, meaning Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, which were like angels. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook This has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for." There's a lot here, and I promise when we preach through Isaiah, we're going to break this down verse by verse. But what I want you to see is the prophets, Isaiah's encounter with the living God and his prayer in verse 5. Isaiah is mourning the loss of a great king, King Uzziah and in his mourning he is met with the holiness of God. This encounter changes his life and marks the rest of his ministry. This account is in Scripture for us to know what it is to fear the Lord. Isaiah's encounter produces one of the most raw and honest prayers in verse 5. Here's basically what Isaiah says, he sees God seated on his throne, holy, high and lifted up and the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the whole earth is full of his glory. He has this encounter. And Isaiah doesn't say, hey, uh, you know, you remember me like I've been a pretty good guy. Isaiah is overcome by the holiness of God. The only thing that comes out of this traumatic experience for Isaiah is for him to say, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. And I live among a sinful people, forgive me of my sin. And God, listen to this, I want you to get this. Isaiah realizes how sinful he is and how sinful the people are around him. And God doesn't say, well, I'll forgive you as long as you do this, do this, do this. He doesn't have a checklist for Isaiah. He sends this angel, this seraphim, to grab this hot coal and to touch the lips of Isaiah, and he forgives his sin. He atones for his sin. Isaiah, look at me. Isaiah when he sees God is met with grace. He is not met with a checklist. He is not met with be a better Christian, or attend church more often, or make sure you attend gospel community all the time. He is not met with a checklist, he is met with grace. He is met with forgiveness. Church. Do we understand who we are praying to? Do we tremble at the fact that the God who holds the universe in his hand will render all accounts settled one day either in hell or by the perfect life, substitutionary death, grave emptying resurrection of Christ? Do we truly know this God? who speaks and mountains are formed, oceans filled with teeming creatures, stars and planets are flung into space. Are we aware of the power and might of this God who holds back his fury and wrath now for the day when he splits the eastern sky and the unrepentant beg for the mountains to pile on top of them to try and to avoid the reality that Jesus is Lord? Do we know this king who came to earth wrapped in flesh, wept at the sting of death? Joyfully said, let the little children come to me, sat with sinners in their homes, and with one breath forgave sin. Do we know who we pray to? Let us say with Hosea, Hosea chapter 6, verse 3, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. Do we know the God that we pray to? So the question that begs to be answered is how do we even try and begin to understand this God? We pray. That is how we begin to even try to understand this unfathomable infinite Creator as we pray. I'm going to keep going back here. When we talk about prayer, prayer is first and foremost about communion, about relationship, about knowing God. It's not about getting God's stuff. Oh, to know the Lord, to know Him and His holiness, to know Him in His majesty to know Him in His grace, to know Him in His mercy, to know Him that He meets us where we are. So this is what our attitude and prayer is best described to as. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Luke read it for us this morning. 1 Peter 5 verses 6 through 7 says, humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Casting what? Just half of your anxieties? Casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now in this, do you see any kind of checklist that you have to meet? He says, bring it to me, bring me your anxieties. Did you know I do a lot of counseling as a pastor, and one of the reoccurring things that comes up in the counseling sessions that I sit in is anxiety. I feel anxious because, I feel anxious about, I feel anxious, fill in the blank. And here Peter says, bring all of your anxieties, bring all of your anxieties. This is a humble dependence that leads to obedience. Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God. This is our attitude in prayer. So let me make this invitation, man, you can go ahead and make your way up. I do this every week, and I'll continue to do it as long as I'm the pastor at Redeemer. First and foremost, if you are not in Christ, if you are in this room and you would say, I don't know if I'm a Christian, or no, I'm not a Christian, the invitation's open for you today. We're not going to make you raise your hand and come up to the front or anything like that. The invitation is this. Do you know? the God of the Bible? Or do you know some preconceived notion of who you think God is? Do you know the God of the Bible? And my plea to you this morning would be if you're not in Christ, it's for you to come and to know this God, for He will not meet you with a list of demands. For the list of demands have been met in Christ, on that Roman cross, in His perfect life, in His death, in His resurrection, in His ascension, and in His interceding for us now. Come and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin, put that sin to death, and look to the Lord Jesus who can save you. Secondly. If you are in Christ, if you're here and you consider yourself a Christian, listen for just a moment. Do you fear the God of the Bible? Do you approach Him as an equal, or do you approach Him with reverence and with awe? The fact that, listen, I I cannot get around, I cannot wrap my mind around this that God had no beginning and has no end. He has always existed. Do you know and fear and love the God of the Bible? And as we sing here in just a moment, maybe this is a a time for you to repent and say, God, I, I don't know that I know you. And may you meet him here. May you meet him in the Scriptures. And how serious he takes sin. So serious that those who die apart from Christ will spend eternity under his wrath. So serious that he crushed his one and only son on a cross. Do we know him? Do we know this God of the Bible? Let's pray.